is Bloomberg Surveillance. The victory of Leave and Brexit are two different things. Given the narrow majority with which Leave has won, Brexit might in fact never occur. The UK is really not that important for most of emerging Asia, however even for China. This is the continuation of the crisis that has not gone away and we may well see some more years of it. Bloomberg Surveillance, your link to the world of economics, finance and investment on Bloomberg Radio. Good morning, everyone. Michael McKee and Tom Keene. This day from Washington, D.C., we welcome all of you to our studios here in uh, Washington. Later this morning, a conversation with Alan Greenspan, and then Michael McKee and I will travel one or two blocks away for a conversation with a former Secretary of State, Madeleine Albright, uh, will join us as well. Let me get uh, out our good support and messages for an 8 a.m. hour. Uh, Bloomberg Surveillance in Washington, London, and New York. Brought to you by Cone Resnick Accounting Tax Advisory. Is your business ready to break through? See how the professionals at Cone Resnick can help you guide your business forward. Find out more at ConeResnick.com. Michael, let's get through a data check here to get to our steam guest uh, 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 quickly. Sterling simply doesn't have a bid. 131.69 is at an ugly half hour of it. Continuing depreciation. We are well over 10 big figures away from where we were a number of days ago. A euro rather under 110, a 109.96. And Michael, very quickly here, futures. Negative 18, now negative 16, a little bad. What else do you see, Mike? Well, here's what uh, we're going to be talking with Karen Petru in a moment. Let's look at what's happening with the banks. In Europe, the uh, Europe, uh, the Eurostock 600 bank index is down 7.6% this morning. It is the worst two-day performance <coughs> in years. You're looking at Deutsche Bank. You've been focused on that. At uh, 12.2 euros, it's down 8.5%. Standard Chartered down 6%. Barclays? Is ugly down nineteen percent. Yeah, and we need, so far this morning. We need, yeah, we need to be clear that there's a nuance to banking from too big to fail big European banks. And in every single interview, the pros are looking at the midsize and the small banks. Yeah, and then uh, I want to look at this one. Unicredit is off seven point three percent this morning. Yeah, there are uh, reports that the Italian government is planning a forty billion euro injection of capital into the banking system there, and yet that has not right. increased confidence in Italian banks this morning. We have a wonderful guest, really, a truly uh, the right guest at the right time on banking. Karen Shaw Petro out of Wellesley, out of MIT and Berkeley, owns the high ground on banking analysis. I think I have that right, don't I, Mike? Yes. Karen, as you sit with your prism of American banking, I critically want to know, does Europe have the regulatory and processes to adjust and amend their European system like we assume we have here? Or is it just a totally different beast? It's different there. Um, I very much hope that first with their back to the wall, some of the squabbling will end. And also, I think very importantly, in Europe, as in the United States, the financial system is very dependent on the very biggest banks, particularly in terms of overnight, the kind of stock market and currency and liquidity gyrations that Mike is describing. All of that runs first through the very biggest banks. And each of them, even the weakest of the very big banks, like a Unicredit, is fundamentally far stronger than it was in 2008. 
Well, even the, that, may, though that may be the case, you have to ask uh, how close to a real systemic problem could we be in Europe if you uh, look at uh, banks like those in Italy with tough capital situations who have now taken an even greater hit on their equity? The the thing I think, Mike, is the near term, the really thing that that I'm watching, equity is a forward-looking earnings price. Survival is overnight funding. Thank you. And we need to keep the lifeblood of the financial system moving so that each one of the banks and therefore each one of their customers pays its bills every minute of every day. And despite the blood all over the floor in equity markets, we're, we're not in a Lehman moment, at least thank right. God not yet. Let's go back to our clinic. We need a Monday primer. What's <laughs> the difference between solvency and liquidity? That's not a primer question, Tom, because some days the line is very, very fuzzy. But liquidity means you can pay your bills because you're solvent, but you need your money that you lent to somebody else to come back to you so you can pay your bills and turn to the people you owe. Every minute of every day, trillions, tens of trillions of dollars are flying through the financial infrastructure. And that has to work. What happened in 2008 was that Lehman couldn't pay its bills, not necessarily in a week, but that minute. And that's what blew. What, uh, as long as we're doing the, the primer stage here, uh, is there a difference in funding models between the U.S. and Europe? Are European banks as dependent on the wholesale funding, overnight funding, as American banks have been? Actually, in, in many ways, they're more dependent. Um, the, and the financial systems in Europe are more dependent on banks than in the United States. Um, but let me just throw a statistic out that for, for U.S. banks, for example, the biggest U.S. banks, the ones, maybe they're too big to fail. I hope they're not. But they're the ones I know we depend on. Since the crisis, 30% of the biggest U.S. banks' balance sheet are now treasury securities, government agency debt, highly liquid assets that they can sell for cash, maybe not as much cash as they wanted, but they can sell for cash. When the financial crisis hit in 2008, they, let alone the other, and the EU banks are better. They're better than they were. They're not great, but they're better. What, will we see mergers and acquisitions? I remember just the wrap-up of Mike Helpy. Uh, I mean, Jamie Dimon was at Bank One. I don't know what that became. And, and that there was a whole Boston Bay Bank, uh, Bank of Boston thing. Can that happen in Europe? That's a great question, and that's where the difference is. It's it's really here we're we're one country, there there are 27 countries, most of whom don't really like each other, and an integrated European banking system is a much more complicated question than than ours here. I think it's state support, Tom, and not so much mergers and market solutions. Mm -hmm. Well, it's not an integrated banking system yet, but you do have. One entity, the ECB, that sort of gets stuck with the bill, um, <laughs> you know, if, if it comes due. How capable are European systems with uh, dealing with any kind of systemic crisis at the moment? They don't know, so I don't know. I, I think the answer is they will do what it takes. That's Mario Draghi's longstanding promise, and he will keep that commitment. Uh, at the market, I believe, expects that. 
the complexity comes because you have the eurozone, then you have the peripherals, and you have local currencies and mm-hmm. the pound. So within the eurozone, I, I really do believe they will do what it takes and then pick up the right. policy pieces later. Karen, uh, what a sight to see George Osborne on stage with James Diamond in the United Kingdom last week. I can't imagine a major banker in the United States, even Mr. Stump of Wells Fargo, a bit removed from the folly on stage with Jack Lew. <laughs> What's the relationship of our bankers with the rest of America, with the people of America now? Are they bonding and connecting like Mr. Diamond bonded with the Chancellor of the Exchequer? Uh no, <laughs> I don't think Americans like their banks very much. Yeah, and in the in London in particular, the the UK economy is so much more dependent on finance and therefore banks than ours that the political relationship is a little bit different too. Uh, before we let you go, I have to ask uh, the uh, how the, the U.S. is shaping up now uh, with the Republicans talking about repealing. Dodd Frank uh, and uh, changes coming in in regulation one way or another. Uh, are we at a point where banks can operate in enough certainty that they can make money but still be safer? I think the short answer to that terrific question is no. Um, this uncertainty is. I believe, and I, I've, I've been working on running some numbers that one of the major reasons the recovery is so slow is that the banking system is unable in some ways and uncertain in others about putting money back into the economy. If we don't clear up that uncertainty, I really don't see how we get the economy moving. Karen, we need you to stay on stage for the next eight hours. You put a bid on the <laughs> sterling. You single-handedly have lifted sterling in the last five minutes. <laughs> I'll stay here all week. <laughs> Karen Petro with Federal Financial Analytics uh, talking to us on the future of our banking system. Mike Sterling, a low 131.52 up to 131.87. It's a Petru rally. I'm, I, I'm not going to call a bottom yet, though. <laughs> no, I, I guess it would neither. Futures it's one are, of those days. Futures yeah. negative 18 are now negative 13, so a little bit of a better feeling of the market. And I think the key thing to state this morning, uh, folks, as Michael McKee mentioned, is with volume coming in towards the New York Trading Day, uh, many of the vectors trying to find a bid. From Washington, later, Alan Greenspan. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. Let's check in with Michael Barr now and get the latest world and national headlines. Michael? Mike, Tom, thank you very much. The Supreme Court is set to close out its current term before the summer recess. There are three remaining cases after a flurry of decisions last week. The last trio of cases are regulation of Texas abortion clinics, a federal law that seeks to keep guns out of the hands of people convicted of domestic violence and the public corruption conviction of former Governor Bob McDonnell of Virginia. Secretary of State John Kerry has meetings today in Brussels and London about Britain voting to leave the EU. Kerry is urging Britain and the European Union to work together to calm markets. West Virginia has already been pounded by heavy rains and may have new flooding problems this week. More heavy rain is forecast today in the same area where floodwaters have already killed at least 25 people. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by more than 2,600 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. I'm Michael Barr. This is Bloomberg. Mike, Tom? Michael, thanks so much. The Secretary of Treasury out with headlines now. Across the Bloomberg, contingent steps are taken on liquidity. 
We'll have more. It's Bloomberg Surveillance. What does Brexit mean for the global economy? Coming up, 9 o'clock Wall Street time, Alan Greenspan, the former Fed chairman, joins Tom Keene and myself on this special edition of Bloomberg Surveillance. Global business news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. The aftershocks of the U.K.'s vote to leave the E.U. reverberating across financial markets after a weekend of political turmoil, with the pound extending its record sell-off and European equities dropping to levels last seen in February. Let's go to the first word breaking news desk for today's morning call. Here's Bill Maloney. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, Karen. That's right. Brexit follow-up continues with the U.S. futures under pressure this morning. Dow futures lower by 119 points, S&P futures drop 14, and Nasdaq futures decline by 35. The U.S. 10 yield drops to 1.47%. The Nikkei jumped 2.4% overnight, while Europe is also under pressure with most markets down 2%. The pound fell below Friday's low, and the U.K. 10 yield dropped below 1% for the first time on record. On the U.S. economic front at 8.30, advanced goods trade balance at 9.45, market U.S. services PMI, and at 10.30, Dallas Fed. In other news, the Financial Times reported that Intel is said to a sale of its cybersecurity unit. And in deal news, Medtronic to buy hardware for $58 a share in cash. Finally, some of your Wall Street upgrades and downgrades. Bank of America downgrades to semis, NXP, analog devices, and Maxim. Invesco cut to neutral over at Citigroup. Manpower Group downgraded to neutral at Credit Suisse. Agco cut to underweight at J.P. Morgan. And Lenar raised to outperform over at Raymond James. Live from the First of Breaking News Desk, I'm Bill Maloney. Karen? Thanks, Bill. To hear live breaking news over your Bloomberg, type Squawk Go on your terminal. That's S-Q-U-A-W-K Go. And that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike. Karen, uh, thanks so much. Stability to the tape. We were negative 18 before, and now we're negative uh, 14 as well. And now joining us, E.J. Dion yes. of the Washington Lord, Post. We're in Washington and uh, the Brookings Institution. Yes. And the the man we uh, turn to for uh, good political well, advice and the man that perhaps uh, the owner of a Scottish golf course should turn to for good political advice. Well, that would make true because he is truly one of our great writers and thinkers on American uh, religion. He did this out of Portsmouth Abbey in Rhode Island, south of Boston. Uh, a, a number of years ago, Mike, why don't you pick it up on Mr. Trump and what E.J. Well, let, let's just about. go there. Uh, Donald Trump goes to Scotland to the reopening of his Turnberry Golf Resort and says, uh, Brexit may be a good thing because I'll make more money as the tourists come to Scotland. Already, that was Friday. Yesterday, Hillary Clinton was on the air with ads saying, how could you possibly do this? Uh, is Trump finding out that he's now in the big leagues of uh, political campaign? It's great to be with you guys. Thank you. And I don't think Donald Trump is going to call me for advice, and that's okay with me. Um, I I found, uh, you know, every time you say Trump isn't going to surprise me anymore, uh, he surprises you again because he has been completely unable to separate himself, his personal business interests, from the fact that he's running for president. I mean, this is an astonishing thing. How many people lost how much money? And I'm not just talking about really rich people, but take a look at all the people in their retirement accounts who were just hit so hard by Britain's decision uh, and the market's response. And here all Trump can talk about 
uh, is, or the main yeah. thing Trump talks about, uh, is the fact that a low pound will make people come up to his golf course in Scotland. It was really amazing. And so it's not surprising that Hillary Clinton uh, jumped on that because, you know, one of the many issues that's going to be used against Donald Trump is this extreme narcissism. I mean, I'm, I'm almost getting sick of the term narcissism. We are all using it right. about Trump, but it's very hard to find a term that better describes his approach to running for president, and a lot of people are afraid to being president if he ever got there. Yeah. E.J., you were doing multicultural religious analysis before it was even thought of in America. I think you uh, worked on that for Madison and Washington a few years ago. And as usual, you've got a brilliant sentence suggesting that the candidate, in this case Mr. Trump, seems uncomfortable around the subject. I don't recollect that America elects uncomfortable people. Bob Dole, who was a great American hero, he struggled with uncomfortable. Help me with the word uncomfortable and what you observe. Well, when you see Trump talking about religion, it seems to be of a guy for whom uh, it is not particularly important. Remember that line during the primary where he talked about the wine and the cracker, uh, which is not somebody who sort of reveres religion, a uh, kind of line uh, they use or the way he refers to Scripture. Yet he knows that uh, conservative, white conservative evangelical Christians are a very important part of the Republican base. And so um, he knows he has to talk about it. And um, you know, last week I wrote about this sort of attack saying we haven't heard anything about Hillary Clinton's religion. Um, well, obviously he hasn't been listening. Uh, everybody, including Clinton's critics, know that method, her Methodism is very important uh, to who she is, just as every critic of George W. Bush uh, took very seriously his religious commitment. And here you have a candidate who not only goes after Clinton's religion, um, he asked, is Mitt Romney really a Mormon? Uh, and, of course, when you look at uh, Romney's life, his faith was deeply important all the way through. He went after Ben Carson for being an Adventist. I just can't – I cannot remember, and I'm not sure there ever was a politician – uh, who went so directly at the re different religions of so many people. And I think with Trump, um, it's not clear what he wants to say uh, on the, right. you know, on the offense. Right. So he does it on the, uh, on the offense on right. behalf of himself. So he does it on the attack. He also says, by the way, right. everybody will be able to say Merry Christmas in stores if he's president. Right. I don't know how he's going to legislate that. AJ, thank you so much for joining us. We've got to keep it short today because of news in Europe. Mr. Dion is with the Washington Post and the Brookings Institution. Mike, that's a stunning headline from the Chancellor of Germany. Truly well, it stunning. is it is the it is the latest uh, on the whole topic. Angela Merkel talking in Berlin says there will be no informal talks before the UK files its EU exit papers, triggering Article 50. Uh, however, she is leavening that by saying she has some sympathy if the U.K. needs time to I file. wonder if those talks go with Scotland as well. I would presume they do. Well, that uh, it, it, it isn't uh, clear from yeah. the headline, but the Scots are hoping to negotiate with the EU yeah. to have a path to remain in if the uh, Eng English and Wales portions of Great Britain want to leave. That's how they do in the, new Euro the Euro soccer match going on uh, right now. What I know is the bid came out of the market, negative 13. We're now negative 16 on futures. Dow futures negative 133. Uh, Sterling 
Uh, if I can find others, you in there, there's 131.62. From Washington with Alan Greenspan, Bloomberg Surveillance. The with all due respect highlight coming up, brought to you by Land Rover. If it's in your nature to cast off the everyday and seek adventure, the Discovery Sport was built to help your search. Visit Land Rover, tristate.com, or call 1-800-FIND-4WD for details. Land Rover, above and beyond. Broadcasting live to New York, Bloomberg 1130, to Washington, D.C., Bloomberg 991, to Boston, Bloomberg 1200, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Radio Plus app and Bloomberg.com. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. Good morning from Washington, D.C., Michael McKee and Tom Keene, a very special edition of Bloomberg Surveillance this morning. As we keep track on uh, of what's going on in Washington and around the world in the wake of the British decision to leave the EU, we can tell you markets are lower. The FTSE trading down 125 points now. The pound going for 131.66. Our economic indicators brought to you by SEI. In the future, the asset management business will be profoundly different. Find out how SEI's global operating platform can help you navigate the new operational frontier at SEIC.com slash imagine. Vinny Del Judice has word on trade in the U.S. Michael, it's the merchandise trade deficit for May. We're waiting for the number. For some reason, it's not out yet. But let me tell you, the forecast, $59.5 billion. That would be wider than the prior month, May versus April. We'll get the full trade report and goods and services July 6th. At the Bloomberg First Word Desk, I'm Vinny Del Judice. Let's go back to Washington. All right, well, we'll keep an eye, Vinny, on that number. For some reason, as you mentioned, it is delayed. It's supposed to be out at 8.30 this morning. And it, uh, uh, here we go. Uh, we've just got the number. It is 60.6, so it is a deterioration from the month of April, which was 57.5. The uh, merchandise trade balance uh, widens to 60.6 billion, and that is generally seen as a drag on the overall level of the economy. But uh, we will keep you... Um, Informed as the quarter goes on. It's the first number of the quarter, first trade number of the quarter. Tom? Well, lots to talk about uh, uh, this morning. And I think one thing, one person to catch up with, we could have like four different interviews with Gary Gensler. I mean, he's, he's been had many interesting careers. He, he's, he's the Democrat or the supporter of Democrat policy where Republicans lean forward and listen just to find out what's going through his brain. Go through his careers here quickly. CFTC, we know that. Public service at Treasury, uh, too, too extensive that. And now I guess it's a public service for Republicans or Democrats. He's providing continuity and intelligence to the former Secretary of State. Uh, good morning, Gary Gensler. What are you doing for Mrs. Clinton? Tom, uh, thank you so much for having me back on your show. I... Uh... Well, uh, she's running for president, as you know, and uh, I think she'd be the terrific uh, as the 45th president and um, her campaign's chief financial officer. That's getting what more. That, what, it's what really does, getting, getting more mission for the money. I mean, all of these uh, wonderful supporters, uh, small dollar donors and, 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 and even larger donors want to ensure that their money is uh, invested well so, and uh, robust uh, campaign. Right. So, Gary, are you the one that tells the intern from Georgetown that after taxes, room, board, and fare, they made $12 this month? Are you the one that tells them that? 
Well, I'm I'm involved in uh, whatever uh, campaign manager Robbie Mook wants me to do, but it's really a, a largely yeah. uh, what a chief financial officer does, and yeah. uh, we're trying to uh, put uh, as much of Secretary Clinton's message out before voters, and that's getting people in the field in the battleground states, as well as ensuring that we've got uh, the right analytics and data, and of course uh, have some resources to put uh, advertisement on radio and TV. What is the discussion inside the campaign post-Brexit? You're a former Goldman Sachs executive. Hillary Clinton was a senator from New York who was seen as very friendly to Wall Street. And yet now you've got this political earthquake shaking people up, the possibility that maybe the resentments on the, against the banks are still out there. Um, I think that what it uh, reminds us of, again, is the need for uh, calm, experienced leadership in times that it can be volatile. And uh, the... Um, uh, the, the public in the United Kingdom uh, uh, decided uh, this past week to leave the European Union. And as you saw, markets uh, uh, moved dramatically. There's uh, significant uncertainty, and it's a time for uh, the experience of Secretary Clinton rather than, as we saw, Donald Trump uh, at a golf course in Scotland uh, really talking about Brexit as something that might advantage him and his uh Worldwide holdings in his golf but every, courses. Everybody knows that uh, Hillary Clinton was Secretary of State and that she's got a lot of experience, etc. How do you deal with the perception that, and he, Donald Trump is certainly trying to encourage it, that she is too friendly to the big banks, to Wall Street at a time when the Vox Populi is, we don't like bankers? Um, Secretary Clinton's laid out a very robust plan uh, for uh, ensuring that Wall Street never again gambles with taxpayer dollars and puts uh, Main Street at risk. Uh, we have to go beyond uh, the very strong reforms put in place by uh, President Obama and what's a reform plan called Dodd-Frank and ensure that uh, no t- bank is too big to fail and, and, and individuals have to be held accountable, not just corporations, uh, right. too often. It's Here. the other way around. One of the great things about you is people think you're an elite, the fancy education, the fancy Goldman Sachs. You started out real, real basic. How does, for that matter, Mr. Trump, but how does Secretary Clinton speak to an American public that is worn out by all the gains going to the elites like Gary Gensler? How does she speak to your childhood? Well, she speaks speaks to, I think, all of our childhoods by listening foremost, listening to people and uh, that they don't have enough for their health care, they don't have enough uh, for their college, that we have a robust plan and need to do more to ensure that uh, college is debt-free. Um, and she uh, speaks to them to ensure that uh, in the workplace that everybody gets a, a fair shake and it's not just the top 1% or the corporate executives. Oh. Gary Gensler, wonderful to catch up with you. Really look forward to speaking to you as the campaign unfolds. Mr. Gensler is the chief financial officer of Secretary Clinton's campaign. Michael McKee and Tom Keene are getting ready for a conversation with Alan Greenspan from Washington, Bloomberg Surveillance. All right, let's check in with Michael Barr and get the latest world and national headlines. Michael. Mike, Tom, thank you very much. The Supreme Court plans to close out its current term with opinions today in three cases. The justices' last three cases concern regulation of Texas abortion clinics. 
the public corruption conviction of former Virginia Governor Bob McDonnell, and a federal law meant to keep guns out of the hands of people convicted of domestic violence. Officials say 2,000 firefighters continue to battle a wildfire in central California that has killed at least two people and possibly more. About 200 homes have been destroyed, including one belonging to this woman. This is a house at age 29. It's hard. I don't wish this on nobody. Containment on the 68-square-mile blaze increased from 10% to 40%. It could be busy on the nation's roadways this holiday weekend. AAA estimates tens of millions of road trips this Independence Day weekend will help break last year's travel record. AAA says because of cheaper gas prices, about 43 million Americans will go somewhere this Independence Day weekend with the overwhelming majority driving. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by more than 2,600 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. I'm Michael Barr. This is Bloomberg. Mike, Tom. All right, thank you. Time now for the Bloomberg NBC Sports Update. Here's Rob Bushko. Rob? Good morning, Mike and Tom. The sweep was not to be for the Yanks, who stumbled in a four-run six inning and route to a 7-1 loss to Minnesota at the stadium. Nathan Uvalde, starting pitcher, on what went wrong. You know, I think it was just that two-out walk. I had him hour. Uh, I got to be able to turn the page and continue to attack. And then I hung a split to uh, Dozier, hit a homer, and then I fell by, you know, 32 count, and I hung the slider and then curveball. He trailed just one nothing at that point. Uvalde is now six and five. Homestand continues tonight with the first place Texas Rangers in town. Ivan Nova welcoming Chichi Gonzalez. The Mets dropped a five two decision in Atlanta. Tough luck loss for Bartolo Colon, who allowed just one run in seven innings. Wilmer Flores, the only Met with a multi hit game. New York heads to Washington to face first place Nationals tonight. Noah Syndergaard versus Joe Ross. And here's a name the Mets signed: Jose Reyes over the weekend, the 33 year old who starred in New York for the Mets from 03 to 2011. He went 0 for 3, no errors, while playing six innings at third base for Class A Brooklyn. NASCAR was a long time coming for Tony Stewart. He captured his first checkered flag in 84 races, conquering Sonoma. And on the pitch, Copa America title goes to Chile again. They beat Argentina in a repeat of the 2015 game. Chile won on penalty kicks, and the world's top-rated player, Lionel Messi, said he's tired of losing with Argentina after the match. He's done playing for them. That's your NBC Bloomberg Sports Update. Mike, Tom? Thanks so much. I appreciate that. Mike, the last time we were here, I believe, we saw a hockey game between the Washington Capitals and another team. I can't remember who that was. Yeah, they faded at the end of the season. They faded at the end. Crosby didn't look good that (laughs) game. The Nationals in first place, 579 ball. Playing our New York Metropolitans. We should stay for the evening. I think we should stay. Forget about London. Forget about New York. They may be sending us to Paducah next, so I'm not <laughs> well, sure. Well, there it is. But tonight, I guess Washington and New York, a good game with good uh, pitching. We have a bid to the market, a sizable bid to the market off that negative 18 futures, now negative 10. Michael McKeon, Tom Keen from our studios in Washington. Coming up, a conversation with Alan Greenspan. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. Italian banks are Italian banks are lower. We're going to talk with Christopher Wheeler about what happens next to the global banking system in the wake of the Brexit vote. Right here on Bloomberg Surveillance, live from Washington. Global business news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. 
And I'm Karen Moscow. This update is brought to you by Sector Spider ETFs. Why buy a single stock when you can invest in the entire sector? Visit SectorSPDRS.com or call 1-866-SECTOR-ETF. The aftershocks of the U.K.'s vote to leave the European Union reverberating across financial markets after a weekend of political turmoil. The pound is extending its record sell-off. European equities are dropping to levels last seen in February. U.S. stock index futures also lower. We check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day. On Bloomberg, S&P E-mini futures down 12 and a half points. Dow E-mini futures down 116. Nasdaq E-mini futures down 32. DAX in Germany is down 2.1 percent. So is the FTSE 100. Ten-year Treasury up 25 30 seconds. The yield 1.47 percent. Yield on the two-year 0.57 percent. NYMEX crude oil down 2.2 percent or a dollar two to 46.62 a barrel. COMEX gold is up nine tenths percent or eleven dollars eighty cents to 13.34.20. An ounce. The euro, a dollar oh nine seven six. The British pound, a dollar thirty one eighty two, and the yen one oh one point five seven. Medtronic saying it'll buy Hardware International of Framingham, Massachusetts, for about one point one billion dollars. Hardware up ninety two percent in early trading. PepsiCo planning to revamp its lineup of diet colas, including renaming one product and releasing an older formulation of another in a bid to revive sales. And that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike. Karen, thank you very much. We are watching futures turn around now and start to deteriorate again. S&P futures off by 12, about six-tenths of a percent. It's a seven-tenths decline for Dow futures. They're down 112 points right now. NASDAQ futures off by 31, three-quarters of a percent. The FTSE down 125 points. The pound at 131.84. The Bloomberg Futures Report is brought to you by Interactive Brokers and CME Group. If you're looking for global futures contracts with low trading costs, look no further. Interactive Brokers is the industry leader. Learn more at interactivebrokers.com slash CME Group. It's 849 on Wall Street. The following is from Bloomberg View. Opinions and commentary from Bloomberg columnists. I'm Megan McArdle, a columnist for Bloomberg View. Why did people vote for Brexit? One answer is that transnational elites tried to build a state without a nation. The current mess in the EU is the result. There is a reason 19th century architects of fledgling states spent so much time and effort nurturing national identity. But the EU never did that work. No one identifies themselves as European when you ask where they're from. And while an EU-wide soccer team would be invincible, who would root for it? These sorts of tribal affiliations do cause problems, which is why elites were so eager to tamp them down. Unfortunately, they're also what glues polities together and makes people willing to sacrifice. Elites miss this because they're the one group that has a transnational identity. And in fact, the arguments for the EU look a lot like the older arguments for national states. It empowers us against them. Unhappily for elites, there's no cosmopolitan to which they can move. They have to live in physical places filled with other people whose loyalties are to a particular place and way of life, not the joys of rootless cosmopolitanism. So it would be folly to let their fledgling identity drive them into a war with the neighbors they can't win, as happened with so many new states in the 19th and 20th centuries. Trying to reforge common identities with those neighbors instead of demonizing them would be a good idea. Unfortunately, it's not clear that transnationalism is any more capable of tempering its own excesses than the nationalism that preceded it. I'm Megan McArdle. For more View, please go to BloombergView.com or View Go on the Bloomberg Terminal. This has been Bloomberg View. Bloomberg View commentaries can be heard hourly weekdays on Bloomberg Radio. The highlight this morning, besides headlines from Worthies in Europe, has been European banking. I don't know if they describe it as highlight. Well, important headlines. There's a headline from Miracle. There's a headline here. There's a headline there. There are no headlines from the European bankers. 
Christopher Wheeler has given us terrific perspective this weekend and before with Atlantic Equities. Christopher Wheeler, you've worked at major London banks. You've studied their financials. What are the bankers of Europe doing right now? What what do they do when they see their equity erode as it's eroding? Well, I, I think, first of all, obviously, they try and reassure their customers and their staff that their business as usual, and this is a blip caused by a single event. Of course, as we all know, um, you know, single events have a habit of turning into something rather uglier. Exactly. So at the same time, yeah. at the same time, undoubtedly, there's an awful lot of work being done on making sure the bank's liquidity right. is strong, making sure they stay close to their clients, and obviously reviewing very right. closely the loan book. How close are we to bank bailouts or nationalization? Look, I think that that at the moment is highly unlikely because I think the capital position at the moment, and Tom, you know, if your stock is 30% down, in theory that tells you earnings are going to fall by 30% or more. Uh, I don't see that at the moment, but you know, the capital is reasonably strong or very strong in most cases, some cases, strong liquidity um, and, you know, pretty decent leverage. Uh, this is uh, this is still a case of, of trying to absorb the shock and this massive uncertainty that we now have, as nobody knows the way ahead. We have complete confusion in the UK with no no opposition, no no government per se, and we have a problem of nobody knowing the timetable for renegotiation with the uh, the EU and, and between the EU and, and the UK. And that just you know uncertainty is a, is the biggest enemy of the market. Well, there is Chris a report this morning that Italy is considering a forty four billion dollar injection of capital into its banks. Uh, yep. Despite that, Unicredit. Still down seven percent this morning. Is this TARP? Is is the, are they finally getting around to the U.S. model? Look, I think that they are. They are showing that they are not going to just stand by and, and see problems emerge. If they're worried that the funding of the banks is under pressure because people are concerned about the impact on capital, they're going to act clearly. That would be, as you say, TARP. Don't forget, the U.K. told you how to do TARP. We just, we just didn't do it as well as the United States. We did exactly the same. We just pumped money into, into Lloyd's, Royal Bank of Scotland, um, in the same way that you did to the U.S. banks, but we, we still are in those banks. So, uh, yes, you're right. It, it's this concept of central bankers saying we will do whatever it takes at this point in time to stabilize the market. A, a grizzled pro like you, aren't you concerned at the rollover in Unicredit, the rollover in Deutsche Bank, the rollover in Barclays? I refuse to believe that long-only buy-side can sit around on a Monday morning and say, well, this is harsh, but we can withstand it. Come on, Chris. Look, I think the, 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 the bottom line is this, is this is an unprecedented shock, but it's a weird, a weird kind of shock because unlike during the crisis when things were hitting us left, right and centre, we we've got one very clear issue to deal with, which has knock-on impacts around currencies and around, around markets. And I think the focus on that is actually, as a fund manager at the moment, I don't need to own banks given the uncertainty around banks. I mean, look, this, you know, these bank stocks are down you know, 10, 15, 20% today. The London market's off 2%. The broader market is not showing the same concerns as the bank sector is. This is like, I don't know the answer for the banks. I'm just going to leave them alone for the time being. And I think they're just walking away and saying, let's just see how it settles down. Are any banks close to the edge? I mean, you look at Barclays down another 16% today. And you have to wonder if you're a, a, a non-expert like myself. Uh, at what point does somebody say, "Uh-oh"? 
Well, look, I, I would suggest that the Bank of England is already looking at this and saying, yeah, is this something that should concern us? If it is, what actions do we take to, 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 to obviously safeguard any concerns about Barclays or indeed any of the UK banks? And we'll try and take those actions. And, yeah, they've got to be careful here because they don't want to start some kind of scare going around about the banks. I mean, what we're seeing here is, again, I can't even start to explain to you. Tom was over here at the, 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 the weekend. But what's occurred since Friday, you know, with the Labour Party, the, the main opposition party, Party imploding, so we don't just you know have a, a, a gap in government. We have a gap, gap in opposition, and we have no idea who's running the country. Alistair Darling, who was the, the, the Chancellor of the Exchequer, who did bail out the British banks in 2008, is asking the question: Where are all these people who ran the exit campaign? Because nobody's well, stepping forward to try and work out what to do next. Isn't the important thing though that the Bank of England is running the banks, and there is stability there? You're absolutely right, and, and you know I think one of the great things is that Mark Carney is a, is, a, is probably a better communicator than his predecessor, however much his predecessor is admired, and indeed he's been on the uh, the wires today saying, you know, this is another market hiccup, markets go up, markets go down. I think Mark's strength is he's got much more experience of other markets than Mervyn had, and I think that from that perspective, I think we're very lucky to have him in place at the moment. Christopher Wheeler, thank you so much. Greatly appreciate it. On the banking, with a bit of a bid right now, Mike, let's do an extensive data check before we uh, go to our conversation with the chairman. Uh, simply, I would almost think futures could go green this morning, the way we're gyrating around negative, I, I, negative you, you, 18. You might need a catalyst to get them that far, but and it does back look to like negative they're, nine. they're feeling a little bit better than they were earlier this morning. Yeah, and um, and yields uh, doing just a little bit of improvement on the tape. No. Yeah. Sterling is benchmark. What do we have on Sterling right now? Well, we're looking at 131.95. It's above its lows of 131.52, but it's been holding below yeah. 131. That's the grind lower there. And, of course, the FTSE, no real change right. in its position, down 131 points, 2.1%. That's about the percentage loss for most of the day so far. When you first observed Alan Greenspan, was he sleeping on the floor of the Oval Office? <laughs> well, the first time I met Alan Greenspan, I think he was watching a Baltimore Orioles game. But uh, Well, that would be good. We have to find out if he switched his allegiance right. to the Washington Nationals. So well, we have a maybe he'll bit. take us to the game tonight. Did you ever think we would talk to him about the collapse of the European model? I no. never really thought. And uh, I don't think anybody uh, really thought that was there. possible. That's why we're looking at uh, markets doing what they are doing. The euro at 109.85, solidly below 110 now, and continuing we, to move lower. The German 10-year note is negative 11 basis right. points. Extraordinary. I, that's a conundrum, as Chairman Greenspan uh, would say. We are here in Washington, D.C. This was booked weeks ago. This was an important interview, but maybe has become the most, most interesting interview that Mike and I have had in ages and ages. Coming up, a conversation with Alan Greenspan as the United Kingdom tries to find a path forward. From Washington with Bloomberg 99.1 FM, this is Bloomberg Surveillance.